You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, Forefront. And no, I am not back from my extended time of rest. This is pre-recorded, so I am resting well right now. Thanks for thanks for thinking about me, though. I appreciate it. I'm so excited because today we get to hear... Uh, voices uh, from our forefront community. We get to hear uh, voices of people who are doing incredible work at the intersection of Christianity and justice. So I'm excited uh, to introduce you today, uh, Denya Perez and Kelly Young. And I just want to make a quick note that we had three people on this panel. We had our friend and community member, Zach Morris, on this panel. Uh, Zach had a death in his family and it was unable to, to make this call. And I just want to take a second to hold space for Zach uh, and I want to take a second to pray for Zach and his family. So if you could join me in doing that real quick. Can we pray for Zach and his family as a church together? And I just want to say, God, uh, we are, are thankful for Zach and his voice and the work that he does. And God, um, anytime there is grief or anytime there is death, there is grief. And so we pray for Zach today. We pray for Zach's family. We pray that um, you would bring the peace that, that, uh, that passes all understanding, uh, a peace that only you know how to give, a peace not only for Zach, but all of Zach's extended family. Uh, and a peace that comes uh, in knowing uh, in knowing that you are God and that you hold us all in your hands and that you hold us all in the midst of our pain and the midst of our grief. And so hold Zach right now. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to get to talk about justice today. And I just want to start by saying this. As a church, we always say we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity. And we talk about that all the time. And, and what makes us believe that? Well, we say that there are five differentials that we believe will help us to usher in the next 500 years. And that's LGBTQIA inclusion in the church. That's the good news that we are not separated from God, uh, that Jesus Christ, uh, that death and resurrection is not to change our, is not for God to change God's mind about us, but for us to change our minds about the goodness of God. We believe that the third one is that... Um, uh, we're actively anti-racist as a church, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, that our scripture is not a constitution. That our scripture is a wonderful library to be interpreted. And last but not least, we believe that we will usher in the next 500 years of Christianity when we recognize and embody the fact that Jesus's ministry was indeed political. And we cannot separate the fact that if we are going to follow Jesus Christ, then we need to be involved in activist work and justice work the same way that Jesus Christ was involved in activist work and justice work. And so it's with that, um, it's with that good news, because it is good news, we're ushering in the next 500 years. It's with that good news that we are going to start talking with Denya and Kelly today. And so I'm just going to ask you both, and Kelly, why don't we go ahead and start with you, with you. Um, um, you, know, you know, introduce yourself, introduce yourself. How, do you, how do you identify, identify what are your what pronouns, are your pronouns? Um, um, what kind of, what work, kind of do work do you do, and how did you how get, did into, you get that into that work? work? Thank you, John. Thank you, John. And, um, I'm just really, I'm just really happy, happy to be here with you, Daniel, so thank you for this opportunity. Um, as Jonathan mentioned, my name is Kelly Young. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am a lawyer. I've worked in criminal justice policy for the past five years. And recently, in light of COVID, my work has expanded to include justice more broadly, from housing justice to economic justice, voting, education, and healthcare. I um, mean, even though I'm definitely a little bit out of my depth from time to time, it's a shift that I really appreciate. 
um, because even going into criminal justice reform, I had an understanding of how all of these systems were interconnected and how all of our social and societal failures are thrown into stark relief in the criminal legal system. And it's like your contact with that system is greatly determined by your access to quality education, food, shelter, employment, health care, both mental and physical. And, you know, even if we control for all of that, it is also a deeply, deeply racist system by design. And that was something I was taught and learned firsthand at a very young age. And you know, I've dedicated my professional life to working against it. It's incredible work. And we're going to hear a little bit more about uh, some of the work you're doing to change the systems within criminal law. Um, but thank you for, for, for giving us that, that brief introduction. All right, Denya, uh, let's talk about the good work that you're up to. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here on this panel sharing space uh, with Kelly, who's amazing, and also obviously Jonathan, our great moderator. Um, my name is Zenia Perez. My pronouns are she, her, and Spanish, ella. And I'm currently an Immigrant Justice Corps fellow at Make the Road New York. Um, I mostly do a lot of removal defense, so like people who are in deportation proceedings, trying to help them fight to stay in the country. But I also do a lot of affirmative immigration work. So for people who are not in removal proceedings, who want to apply for naturalization or citizenship or for a green card. And so it's a mix. And I got into this work because I am directly impacted. Um, I'm undocumented. I was born in Mexico and I came to the U.S. when I was 11 months old with my parents. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and my parents were placed into deportation proceedings when I was 10 years old. So I, from a very young age, was just was very intimately familiar with how quickly um, someone's life can change because of a system that, as Kelly said, is inherently racist, is by design um, set up to fail most. And it really made me curious about what my role could be as an impacted person navigating this system and this space that I know was designed to keep people like me out. So I went to law school. Um, all of my professional experience has been in the nonprofit direct services world. So I have been doing this work um, since 2010, and it's been a long time. I'm transitioning into more of a policy role, but being on the ground offering services to other people in my community um, has just given me further insight into all of the ways that we really need to usher in God's kingdom and really challenge these systems that are, are not just. Yeah. I mean, thank you for that. Thank you for that as well. And thank you for sharing a little bit of your story. I greatly appreciate it. Um, both of you, you know, we talk a lot at Forefront. We say a lot that part of our, part of our Christian experience or part of our Jesus following experience is to change unjust systems is to, is to, you know, literally set captains free when, when needed and, and to literally um, restore policies that have, that have uh, uh, you know, unnecessarily oppressed and hurt other people. When you got into this work, was this something that you already embodied in your spiritual journey or was this something that, you know, how did your spirituality and your, your, your Christian journey inform your work? Or was it something that connected later on as the work began? Uh, I'm curious. 
Yeah, go ahead, Daniel. <laughs> I was like, I can go. Um, well, I gave a, a giving sermon, or not sermon, a speech uh, a few months ago when, you know, before COVID. And I talked a little bit about my Catholic upbringing and how my experience with social justice in the church has actually been pretty, like, it's a pretty natural fit for me. And only later on did I learn that maybe my Catholic upbringing was not the norm, but the the priest I had growing up um, in my immigrant community was very vocal about social justice issues, was very vocal about the ways that as Catholics, we really needed to align with the imprisoned, align with the immigrants, would pray every single Sunday about all of the people who are behind bars, who are victims of these unjust systems. So it was pretty obvious um, to me that my social justice values were connected to my faith. You know, I was baptized, I did my first communion, my family and I went to church pretty much every Sunday. And I think it wasn't really until later that I had like a existential crisis. I tell people like I broke up with Jesus like early on in my 20s because I, you know, this priest that I loved so much that was really a spiritual mentor for me was transferred to another church and around the same time all of like the sexual abuse scandals um, were coming to light and so I had this like reckoning and this crisis because I just felt like the church's response and the majority of other priests that I was interacting with were not in any way concerned with justice or with the values that I felt like Father Manuel um, had instilled in me and it made me really question like my place in the church the church's role um not just in hiding or perpetuating these awful um, harms, but also, you know, historically too, with colonialism, I had just started college, you know, I was learning about taking all these ethnic studies courses and realizing like, oh my gosh, the Catholic church has inflicted a lot of pain um, on people. And so I was, I had a really hard time for a while um, reconciling whether or not my faith and the church was really aligned with the values that I had come to see as um, intertwined. So I left the church for a while and then in college um, started exploring other churches and left the Catholic church and found my home in more progressive um, non-denominational Christian churches like Forefront. But yeah, I, I think for a long time it was really obvious that my faith informed my social justice values. And then there was a time where I felt like those two were incompatible. And then, you know, I took a break from church and then found a a spiritual home where I felt like those conversations were happening again. And there was this concerted effort to talk about, you know, racial reconciliation, to talk about anti-racism, to talk about, you know, exclusion of our of our queer family and trying to bridge those gaps so I'm happy to be back in relationship with Jesus um and yeah that that's been my experience no I mean it's it's important I think I think one of the things that we have to do as a church and and more than once is is we as a church I think there are times we just have to repent we have to repent of the ways that we have stopped people from earnestly seeking out Jesus because we're afraid to talk about anti-racism. We're afraid to talk about justice issues. We say stick to the gospel without recognizing that it is, in fact, the gospel. And so that's, you know, your your story of being able to, it sounds like, and tell me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you were able to forgive the church, like you needed to go through a process of that. 
Um, yes. is, is that right in saying that? No, definitely. I was really angry for a while. I was angry at God. I was angry at the church. I was angry at my family for not doing more to question or really push back um, against, you know, the complicity of the church and all of these awful, awful atrocities. And so I had, you know, a moment where I was just angry and did, did not want anything to do with organized religion or my faith. And I think because of the spiritual guidance of friends um, who really walked with me, <laughs> to use that Christianese language, like were with me on my walk and just made space for me and validated all of these feelings, I was able to, yeah, to forgive the church um, as an institution and to realize, you know, that like God does care about these things. Um, Jesus did die for our sins and like we all deserve forgiveness and a chance for redemption. And I, I can come back into this space knowing that there is room for all of these very complicated feelings. Well said, well said. Um, I feel like if there, if there's anything um, that the church should be able to provide, it's safe space for complicated feelings. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. Kelly, uh, tell, tell us a little bit of your story. Yeah. Yeah. So I am from Brooklyn. I was raised in the black church and I guess we're similar to what Denya is saying, like faith and activism and social justice went hand in hand. And so I grew up seeing elected leaders and candidates come into the church and talk about how they were going to fight for our communities and then being instructed by leadership in the church to be loud and hold them accountable when they didn't. And so that was like my faith upbringing. And then I was I grew up in um, a predominantly Black and Latino community that was incredibly underserved and over-policed. And I saw the ways in which um, the criminal legal system was, you know, working to the detriment of people who looked like me because they looked like me. And so I think, like, doing this work was the only way I can reconcile, like, my identity in Christ and, like, caring about him and wanting to follow him and also being in a world that devalues people. And so I think, yeah. And so I don't, I didn't see another way to walk my Christian walk without being an advocate for justice. And so, yeah, I think one, and like one of the scriptures that I really loved and it's cool because Luke Cage also references it um, is Luke 4.18, where he's like, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. And I think in one of your sermons, you talk about how, you know, from like interpreting the scripture from a white supremacist lens, you know, you can read that in a very like metaphorical way and like, you know, setting people free spiritually and stuff. But I think the way I was raised, I was very literal. And it was like, we are called to proclaim freedom to people who are imprisoned you know, set oppressed people free. And I think that um, is just kind of how I was raised. And so I went into law school wanting to do public defense work. And that was, you know, I recognized, you know, even in, you know, growing up in the community I did, how privileged I was to have, you know, both my parents and be raised with my grandparents and have older siblings and have that kind of you know, family structure that a lot of my friends and neighbors didn't have and how that set me up for success in a lot of ways. But like that success is meaningless if I am not, you know, turning around and making sure everyone around me is also set up for that. And so it made sense to me at the time to 
be an advocate and speak on behalf of people whose liberties were at stake. Um, and I ended up not doing that and starting off in policy. Um, and now I'm like responsible for um, like producing shows where we're literally platforming progressive policies and speaking to members of Congress and elected leaders and advocates about how we are going to bring justice to everyone. And it's speaking truth to power every day. And I think that as Christians is what we're called to do. And so I, it's tiring and, and it could be a little, it's hard to hold on to hope a lot of the time because the problems are so big. Um, but I can't, you know, I can't imagine um, not doing doing that work. Um, yeah, and I so to answer the question, I think it's like my faith and my work are all interconnected. Um, and then I'm gonna say it one other scripture because I think it's awesome. And so it's Micah six eight, um, and he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and love mercy, um, and to walk humbly with your God and loving mercy is not natural at all and we don't do it well and you know you see that in how we treat people who have been accused of crimes um, and the fact that we have a death penalty and that children are sentenced to life and that we you know are literally throwing people away every day um and there's one translation where it says let mercy be your first concern and i think if we did that as followers of christ like the world would look a lot different Incredibly well said. I think first off, and I was muted because I'm I'm Jonathan. Anyway, um, yeah, the the Luke four eighteen passage, you know, it's literal, right? I think I think in in order to in order to let go of responsibility of doing that work, we've made it into a metaphorical concept. Oh, you know, Jesus is talking about me like freeing my heart from sin or whatever. No, no. It was literally freeing oppressed people and literally people who, and, and Kelly, I think your language was absolutely appropriate, throwing away people. The fact that we're throwing away people needs to end. This is what it means to bring God's kingdom to this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that, you know, me growing up, I grew up in a predominantly white uh, evangelical church where, no, we weren't going to talk about justice. Everything was super personal. Um, your personal Lord and Savior, your personal relationship with Jesus. And so anytime we brought up justice or, or the prophets or Micah, like you spoke of, it was always this sense of, um, of no, 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 that's, that's not what Jesus meant or that's, that, that, that's too political. Um, and so I guess the question for both of you, having grown up in a, in a different religious experience where that was essential, um, how do you talk about it with those who don't see uh, the, ju- uh, the intersectionality of justice and Christianity? How, how do you talk about that with people? I guess I can go first. Um, And so I guess usually how that comes up is people saying that, you know, politics shouldn't be discussed in church or like it should be taken outside of religion. And I mean, honestly, and, you know, we're all, you know, God is working on all of us to be more gracious. I have very little patience uh, for that kind of argument because it's, it's usually only used by people who are trying to maintain power. Um, and it has no grounding in scripture, like not in the Old Testament, not in the New. Like the first five books, we're laying down the law and then we're establishing government. And we have the judges and then we have the monarchy and then Jesus comes 
And he's literally threatening the political structure. He's calling out corruption and greed and speaking to the fact that those in power are not prioritizing people. Like that is his whole ministry. And I don't, I don't know what you're left with if you take politics out of the Christian faith. I don't know how you answer the call to seek justice if you do that. And, um, you know, and I think another part of that conversation is about partisanship, which is, you know, that's just about where your politics lie and what party you ascribe to. And as Christians, it should be Christ. It should be the politics of Jesus. And I think he's made those clear in how he moved through the world and who he associated with and the causes he fought for and the things that got him angry. And, you know, he's called us to follow him. And so we should be angry when we see injustice and, you know, that and we see that in politics. Mm-hmm. And so I don't see how you can divorce the two. I, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, Daniel, you talk about Jesus and the way you follow Jesus as being an activist. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, I know that's something that, uh, that you've journeyed with a little bit, thinking about Jesus that way. Sure. Yeah. And I just want to appreciate Kelly's, um, yeah, just like response because it's so real. Like, I think the older I get, the less patience I have, but grace is definitely important. I think, honestly, I just go back to who Jesus is, was. I am so inspired by the way that he lived his life. And I, I don't know if I would have used the word activist as a child, because I didn't probably know what that meant. But I just looked up to the way that Jesus loved people and the way that he was always, always aligning himself with the marginalized, always creating space and trying to center those who were the least of these, you know, who were the ones on the margins, who were the people with the least amount of resources or the most understood, the way that he just was able to love everyone and try to make it known that anything that we know and the way that we run the world and like treat each other is like completely problematic and that he's going to come in and just really challenge all of us. Um, and, and the assumptions that we make in the way that we live our lives was so beautiful to me. Um, and I think I continue, like the more I read scripture and like the more I evolve in my faith, I think the more nuanced that becomes and the more beautiful it becomes. I think as a kid, you know, and even younger in my faith, I just love the idea of who Jesus is and who he was and how he just unconditionally died for all of us. Like, we don't have to do anything, nothing. Like, you cannot earn salvation. Like, he did it for all of us. Like, there's nothing we can do to separate us. And I think that's really powerful and that really guides me in the way that I try to do my work and the way I try to love people. Like, if if God can unconditionally love me and can forgive everything, like we're all redeemable and like we should all be living and treating each other in this way because we don't deserve anything and God still loves us and gives us opportunities every day to show up and try again and to be better and to mess up and to try again. And I just wish that our government and our world was more like that. And that, as Kelly said, we didn't just throw people away, that people weren't disposable when they made mistakes, but that they got the resources and the love and the care that they need to turn their life around and to get the support that they need to 
you know, be fully integrated and loved. And I think I got a lot of that just, you know, from learning about the way Jesus lived his life when he was among us and just being really inspired by the fact that he fed us and cured us, didn't ask for copay, didn't ask for people to, you know, prove their credentials or resume before he engaged. He just did it because he loved us and because it's necessary. And I just think that is so beautiful. And I try to emulate that as much as I can. I mean, amen. I mean, amen to that. That I mean, that's the gospel <laughs> message right there, right? Like that is the gospel. I thank you. Thanks for saying that. Um, it's funny, like that being that that it is the gospel message that Jesus shows up for all of us, and not only shows up for all of us, um, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is for all of us. Like full stop, no caveats. Um, and and so in in thankfulness for that, we go and we do the work of Jesus to to you know, we always say to usher in God's kingdom. And let's just be honest. Can we be honest for a sec? Like people, are, I'll, I'll, let's be even more honest. People that look like me, lots of white cis straight folks with a lot of privilege are late to the game on this um and so like real talk let's talk a little bit about that um what do you think people like myself myself included what is it that we need to recognize what is it that we need to do as we enter into a justice oriented christianity kelly i'll let you talk about this Um, yeah, I don't, it's, yeah, we've talked about this before, but, um, I just, so we're in a time right now where, you know, saying Black Lives Matter is, like, a cool thing to do, and, you know, even from my perspective, it feels different and bigger, and people are, you know, more involved, and it's just really suspicious, and, you know, I've spoken to a few people about it who, you know, share feelings that, you know, it feels like we're being gaslighted because we've been talking about this for centuries and nothing's happened. And, you know, the murder of George Floyd was a lot like the murder of Eric Garner, was a lot like the murder of Emmett Till. And, you know, Black people have been being publicly executed in this country since the country started. And I don't, I think think white people need to answer the question of why now? Because as a Black person, it is very unsettling because I'm like, what, what's different? Nothing's changed as far as I'm concerned. So I don't, I don't, I don't get I don't get it. Um, And I think what needs to be understood is that, you know, this is a centuries long fight and we are still at the beginning of it. Um, This week I spoke with um, Jal Karandi, who's amazing and worked on getting uh, University of Minnesota to um, cut ties with police. Um, But she spoke about how, um, you know, in the, in the declaration of independence, you know, we have these, um, truths that are self-evident. It's like, um, no, sorry, these like immutable rights. And it is um, the protection of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And Black people are stuck at, like, we're stuck at life. We're still fighting for life. And there is a lot of trauma and hurt and frustration. And I think, you know, for white people joining in now to say Black Lives Matter, I think you need to understand um, the history of that. And like learn first and like take it in first before before you speak and I think that is I think that's important um and just understanding the breath and just how long this fight has been going on and you know really reckon with why it is now that you know you're comfortable speaking to it thank you so much for saying 
for saying that. I think for, um, for me, we talk a lot about reconciliation in, in, in this work. And I don't, think, I don't think we can have reconciliation at all until we do the work of, of recognizing and until we do the work of repenting and until we do the work of repairing. Like, I, I don't, I, I think for, and I'm speaking for myself and, and other white folks right now, like, I think we skip some really important justice steps, especially when we center black lives by jumping right to reconciliation without mm -hmm. first recognizing the harm that we've caused and repenting of the harm that we caused and repairing the harm that we've caused. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, you know, speaking specifically towards people like myself, we can't move forward in justice work in Christianity until we do those, until we, we recognize and repent first. Um, so I appreciate you and I appreciate, um, I appreciate that word. It's, a, it's an important word for us. Um, Betty, I know you have a couple thoughts uh, surrounding some of this as well. Uh, would, would you like to jump in? Sure. I just want to echo uh, what Kelly has said. I think there's a little <laughs> bit of suspicion. And I think for even non-Black folks of color, I think it's really important for us to also sit down with ourselves and our communities and recognize the anti-Blackness that permeates within our communities and try to sit with the responsibility of our complicity in a lot of the ways that our Black community has been um, marginalized and oppressed and executed. I think that it's really important for non-Black folks, you know, no matter where you are um, and no matter who your community is, to really have these conversations and these reflections. And then, most importantly, to then act on that. And I think something really important that Kelly said is that, you know, the work is just beginning and that people have been sounding the alarm for generations. And we, I think I saw this on Twitter, like we've just, a lot of us have been hitting snooze. Um, the alarm has been going off, but people have just been hitting snooze. And so it's a matter of, yes, taking action. Yes, um, having these conversations and reflections, but really understanding that we need to follow as non-Black people. We need to be grateful and appreciative that Black folks have been doing this work, that have set out this blueprint for so many other social justice movements. Like as an undocumented immigrant, I'm so grateful for the Black folks in this country who have been putting their lives on the line and have been challenging the status quo since the country began because it laid a foundation for the immigrants' rights movement. It laid a foundation for the queer liberation movement. It laid a foundation for the women's movement. And, you know, there are also like black queer immigrants, you know, there's intersectionality. And I think, again, for non-black folks who have all of these other intersection or intersecting identities, I think it's important for us to follow as well, to take stock of what we haven't done and why we haven't done it, and then act um, in, op in opposition to what we haven't done and really take to be humbled and take the lead, uh, to be led, sorry, to, to be led by black folks who have been doing this a lot longer and to know that like, we're here to support, we're late, we're sorry, we're late to the party, but like, how can we be helpful? And to just know that it's gonna be a long journey and that we need to, to be humble and patient and helpful. Yeah, I, th I think I, I really appreciate what you said right there where, hey, we recognize that we got this wrong. Um, and now we get the chance to, to, to first off apologize and to recognize the goodness that has come um, 
from from activism, especially activism from our black and brown siblings, um, who have, like you said, paved the way for so many um, other others of us who are going through the same uh, or others who are going through the same struggle. Um, and I think about our church, and I think about our church is this. Um, it, I, I think there's a diversity of journey. I don't know how else to say it. A diversity of journey. I think some people have are like, yeah, there is no Christianity without activism and justice work. And I think there are others of us on the other side who are like, you know, my whole life it's been about a personal relationship with Jesus. And my eyes are being opened to the fact that it, it, it can be more. Um, and so I guess the question I have uh, for you is this. I mean, where should where should we start? How should we move forward? Um, what do you think for someone who's coming into this, not necessarily knowing that justice work is essential to the gospel, how would you advise, instruct, encourage um, as they begin that journey, or as they are, are continue on that journey? Um, and, you know, Kelly, why not? Let's have you, let's have you <laughs> jump in first. I keep wanting just to leave it open, and I'm like, that's not a good idea. But anyway, go ahead. Um, yeah, I think... I think one, the first step is going back to the gospel more. Like to say that, you know, your faith is about a personal relationship with Jesus and dig into who he was. Like Jesus, like he was a man of color who spent his life speaking truth to power and he was murdered for it by the government after being denied a fair trial and being declared innocent. And, you know, he could, you know, have been born into any family and carried out his ministry in a lot of different ways, but he, he came as a baby and like born into poverty, he was a refugee, he was homeless, he was wrongfully convicted and executed. And that's not glamorous. Like, and he, he came, you know, for the least of these as the least of these. He was absolute power and he gave it up and he was disruptive about it. And so, you know, I think, you know, beyond the fact that, you know, religion is political, but like everything else is as well, like where we live, how we dress, what we see on TV, written in our textbooks, you know, what's handed down as law, like Jesus has something to say about all of that. Um, and, you know, so should we, but and I don't want I don't want that to seem like there's like a one size fits all approach to being involved, but you know, I would say do it on the local level. Like get plugged into what's going on in your community because it's really easy um, to get swept up in what's going on at the national level. But, you know, your neighbors are working. Like there are so many people doing good work. And right now the justice team is going to drop a link uh, with some local opportunities that you should definitely look into. And, you know, more broadly, like what I said before, just understand that this is a centuries long fight and, you know, we welcome you into it, but just realize that it's it's going to be hard and you're going to have to give up a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we are ushering the next 500 years of Christianity and allowing people to live in the fullness of their humanity. And I think that's, that's what this all is about. Thank you. Daniel, what would you like to add? I mean, you know, Kelly did a great job. I, I'm telling you, I got, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm like, all right. She just dropped the mic. The only other plug and critique I would say is like, we are in the information and access to all of these platforms that help us connect to people who wouldn't otherwise have a platform, who wouldn't otherwise be acknowledged in mainstream spaces or conversations. And I think that 
for as much access as we have, I don't think we all tap into it as much as we should and utilize like Twitter or the internet. Like there are so many amazing theologians on Twitter who are talking about liberation theology, queer theology, Mm -hmm. feminist theology, who are breaking down, as Kelly said, the gospel and really talking about scripture and the Bible and offering this um, perspective and really important and on point analysis of this text that is our holy text and those voices aren't always centered or aren't always uplifted in the mainstream but they exist and I think it's just a matter of doing the work to try to really amplify and pivot away from the the sermons and like the people who have these huge platforms and have been taking up a lot of space about what Christianity is and what it stands for and trying to really listen to other folks and perspectives that maybe you haven't heard about. Um, Yeah. And I obviously say that to like majority, you know, white folks who might not have people in their life who are making these connections and, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And like, that's okay. I think that's why I say like, it's okay to not know it, but like, if you don't want to know, that's just a matter of being lazy because there's no excuse anymore to be uninformed. Um, We have these resources and we really should be utilizing them to just open up our understanding of the world and of this text and of um, the church. Uh, Also well said, also really, really well said. we, I feel like we barely scratched the surface, but it's time for us to, to end. Um, I know that people like are looking at like they're looking at this live stream. They're like, "This one's going a little longer than normal," but I think it's well worth it. And so, I just want to take a second and and like sincerely thank you both for sharing your journey, for sharing your stories, um, for calling us to to recognition and to action, and in in some cases, calling us to repentance. Uh, and so, I'm just really really grateful for your voices right now. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, and Kelly said it, um, the uh, justice team is, is dropping some links in the comments section. If you want some practical ways to start enacting justice work on a local level. Um, but yeah, maybe for some of us, the work like Denny just said is just to start educating self, right? Mm-hmm. And educating self because the resources are there. We don't have to go to, to, you know, I'm talking for white people again. We don't have to go ask people of color about their experience. Google's our friend. There are plenty of resources out there we can use. Um, let's make sure that we do that. And then for other folks, like, let's create safe space where we can educate and learn together. Uh, and that's something we could do at Forefront. We've, we've been doing it at Forefront. We'll continue to do it at Forefront. Um, thanks so much. Is there anything else we want to add before we, before we head out? I mean, there's like a million other things, but I know, right? we, we can end it here. <laughs> the good news, the good news is because we want Zach to come on a call mm-hmm. again, it means we have to do this soon and, and do like the next, the next generation yeah. of this. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and pray us out. Can we do that then? God, we are grateful. We are thankful um, that you give us the example of Jesus Christ. We are thankful and then we are grateful that when we want to know where your heart is, we look at the life of Jesus and God, we see over and over that your heart heart is with your creation, all of your creation, not some of your creation. We see over and over that your heart, your heart is with those who maybe are unseen and your heart is with those who are hurting and your heart is with those um, who are victims of injustice. And so God, may our hearts 
be the same. May we do the same. May we fight in the same ways. May we advocate in the same ways. May we love in the same ways. And when we don't, God, oh, we are thankful for the good news that comes when we hear and when we know and when we embody the fact that we are all saved because we are your creation. And we all have grace because we are your creation. Full stop. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks all. Hey, welcome. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.